Welcome back to another episode of the USET podcast, where we talk about all things Utah education and technology. I'm your host, Kara Bettis, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at KBettis, that is at K-B-E-D-D-E-S, to extend the conversation. For today's episode, we're talking about using data and activism to spark empathy with our guests, John Arthur from Salt Lake City School District and Brooke Anderson from Jordan School District. Brooke began her teaching career in Nebo District teaching middle school English. During her time in the classroom, Brooke earned endorsements in reading and educational technology. After seeing the increasing role of data and assessment in instruction, Brooke earned her Master's of Instruction Masters of Information Systems from U of U and switched roles to be a teacher specialist in evaluation, research, and accountability for Jordan School District. John Arthur is the 2021 Utah Teacher of the Year and National Teacher of the Year finalist. He teaches sixth grade at Meadowlark Elementary in Salt Lake City, and he is an adjunct professor in the Graduate School of Education at Westminster College. John Arthur represents the Asian community on the Utah State Board of Education's Advisory Committee on Equity, and he can be seen raising awareness for global education issues on the new show, The Activist, airing on CBS starting October 22nd. We are honored to get into a discussion today with these exemplary change makers. Our topic today is using data to instigate change. Um, and so we wanted to talk about um, education and change and how educators can be a part of that. Uh, so the first question I wanted to start out with are, what are your passion causes? Just kind of, what would you like to see change in education or in the wider scheme of things? What are your passion pieces? You wanna jump in there, Brooke? Yeah, thank you. Um, I am passionate about inquiry and accountability in education. I think, you know, we have such complex work that we do and it's important to ask big questions about what we're doing and why we're doing it and how it's affecting the students who we're serving and their families. And so that's what I would like to see more of in education is teachers having access to um, processes and data that help them facilitate their own inquiry and research so they can ask and answer better questions. Lovely. And for me, um, I'm, I'm passionate about causes, but I'm more passionate about people. This is a, this is a human business we're in. And so I'm passionate about students. I'm passionate about teachers. I'm passionate about parents and the, the families of the kids who I serve in my classroom. And so when I'm looking at data and the things that get me fired up, it's always numbers related to people. The, the statistics that always hurt the hardest are the ones that, that hurt my kids. And then, you know, my colleagues who I, I love as family as well. And so for me, it always depends on who is attached to the, the information before me and what can I do to help those people out. And by affecting these, these you know, pieces of information, these statistics that I'm presented with, how can I use that to improve the lives of the people I care about most? I love that. Um, it's not about causes, it's about people. Um, kind of a follow-up to that then, uh, how did you guys, how did 
you get drawn into these causes like or these problems that you're seeing like what was kind of the instigating factor for you for me Go ahead, yeah if you don't mind I'll, I'll jump in there um for me it, it's it's very organic you know I didn't come into teaching looking to affect change in education if that makes sense I was aware of educational issues I I really I had thought about it during my grad work, but I was coming in scared of how to get kids to do the things I was asking them to do. And especially in my first year, I, I was not always the most effective at doing that. So that was, that's where my attention was. But I don't know if y'all ever watched the old show Kung Fu uh, with, you know, the guy who would travel from one town to the next and, and there would be a problem in that town. There'd be this horrible sheriff for this, you know, this, uh this this group of bandits and he would just be trying to mind his own business but the the trouble was just too obvious and he couldn't help but step in and try to do something about it that's how i've always felt within education and activism is i came in here just looking to educate kids but then i saw all of these horrible uh abuses of of you know, the, the equitable conditions we're supposed to be providing to kids and, and teachers being used and abused in horrible ways by the system and disregarded and, and just mistreated. And I, I eventually couldn't stop myself from raising my hand a little bit more, standing up more, ending up at rallies and events where we needed to, needed to, to uh, bring our collective force together to affect the kind of change that we knew we needed to see in the system. And so it's not something I came into this looking for, but if you care about kids, you care about teachers, you care about education, you cannot help but be drawn into these, um, these fights, these movements, these whatever it is that you got to call it to, to move us to the place we want to be. Oh, that's so powerful. Thank you, John. I think anyone hearing that is going to be inspired. <laughs> Fingers crossed, because we need we need yeah. more people in the fight. Exactly. Um, I got into education 20 years ago, so I've been, you know, watching this for a long time, and I absolutely agree with that. Um, I switched over to my current role from being an English teacher because I saw that we were just getting all this data in education, and we were being told, "Oh, use it," and not told how. And the number one way people wanted to use it was to rank teachers, students, most unhelpful thing you could be doing with any of this data. And so I thought, you know, this isn't the question that we're trying to answer. This isn't a useful question. This is not a question that helps kids and their families and gets to that human connection that we're going for. It doesn't matter, you know, did I do better than so-and-so? What matters is, am I learning? Am I doing better than I used to do? And do I have a clear path forward? And so that's what I want to see for teachers as, as well. Um, that is wonderful. Um, kind of going off of that is you've both found kind of your own path into becoming a change maker. Um, how, how can teachers, like, where do they even start? What would be your recommendation? I think probably working um, locally is a great place to start. Uh, looking at the policies and practices in your building, in your classroom, and asking some questions about it, you know, the survival of any policy or practice is not mandatory. We're all just kind of doing our best as we go along and we can do better. 
every year we can do better. So asking questions about what's happening in your classroom, in your school, in your district, in your state is a great place to start. And touching base with the people who are making decisions for your classroom, for your district, and for your state. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Starting small, that, that focus on your own classroom, that's the place where you're going to first start to recognize inequities, injustices, and just, just things that make zero sense. And the best place to uh, really make things better for your kids is in that space that you control the most. And so learning how to approach administrators, district officials, the folks who can affect the, the issues that you see on the daily in your classroom, that's where you start. And that's where we all start. And then from there, you start to recognize that there are larger systemic pieces that are also causing problems in your classroom. And so you, you learn that there is this um, collection of educators already fighting these fights in your building, in your LEA, across the state, and you start understanding who you need to talk to for help because we all come into, especially this space of change-making, as you called it there, Kira, very green and you know, full of passion because you're, you're, you, you think that you've discovered this thing that's awful and you're ready to fight it. And then you find out that this thing has been awful for decades and that people have been fighting it for years. And so you get to benefit from their, their playbook that they've developed in their fight and they get to benefit from your passion and energy. And that's, that's how collectively we move this kind of work forward. So recognize your place within that movement. You you come in the battery and then you eventually evolve into one of those people who's operating the, the machinery of change. And I'm, I'm still, you know, I, 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 I hear that Brooke's been in this for 20 years. And I hashtag goals for me. I'm, I'm uh, entering my ninth year in the classroom. And so I'm still kind of in that battery mid-level kind of change maker state. And I'm very conscious of that. I've, I've tried to do as much as I possibly can to move into spaces where I think that change can happen. And I've, I've been very bold in, in starting conversations with folks, but I, I also recognize I'm young in this uh, profession and a kid in these spaces where I have to defer to those folks who've been doing this longer than I have and say, yeah, you did this you had the same argument 14 years ago. How'd it turn out? And tell me, tell me the mistakes I'm making now that somebody already else, uh, somebody else already made, so that uh, I can save face a little bit. You know, save me, elders, and then I can now turn around and start mentoring other folks too. So it's a fun place to be. Yeah, nine years are definitely uh, in a position to mentor for sure. Like, yeah. I think we all know, like the statistics your teachers, like you've outlasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are the veteran Absolutely. now, for yeah, sure. I stand on the shoulders of giants, and I never when forget. I, oh, exactly. And I, I love how you pointed out that there are systemic and there are local, and so often there's a disconnect. There are people doing systemic work, studying systemic work, doing research at that level, that are describing these big trends, and then it never really makes it to the classroom. It never really impacts local practice. And so just the ability to look around your classroom and describe what you're seeing, and then describe that to a decision maker at the local level saying, here is what is happening. 
you know, here's what you're hearing from research or the news or whatever. Here is what is happening with the 35 kids that I know personally. Yeah. Um, kind of to follow up with this, um, both of you have talked about creating change means going beyond your classroom and making connections and um, linking up with other change makers, but also like being able to connect with decision makers. So my question would be, um, what are some ways that teachers can get involved? Um, what are groups or people that you've connected with that, that have then helped you connect with others? Does that make sense? Like, Yes. Who did Is you? This where I get to talk about the teacher fellows. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Plug for the Utah Teacher Fellows. Um, it's a wonderful state level fellowship where you get to collaborate with teachers across the state about being a change maker in education and being a teacher leader and building those relationships with decision makers at the local and state level. And it's just a wonderful introduction to how do you pursue these questions that you have and these changes you want to see. So that's a great way to do it is to pursue a fellowship like that. Yeah, that is a great one. I, I, I'm proud to be able to say that I'll be joining the third cohort, again, following in Brooks' footsteps, you know. Um, there's, there's networks all over our profession, you know. This is, a, this is a profession where people treat their work as a craft, you know. And anytime you have that, you will have people coming together for a variety of reasons. Um, the ones that I have found the most powerful have been my local education association, my teachers union. Um, and, and through them, again, it branches out at to, to the state level, the Utah Education Association, and then the National Education Association. And one of the benefits of being in a an education association in a union is not only the protection that you get, obviously, from, from uh, collective bargaining and just being together uh, with a group of like-minded professionals who have your back, um, but the professional development that you get in the space of activism and change-making is invaluable. I'm joining um, a cohort right now of um, NEA Leaders for Just Schools, um, where I'm going to get all kinds of training and I'm going to be put into positions of um, influence around making sure that our kids are going to the joyous, just schools that they deserve, you know, and they're being served in these classrooms that are built on these principles, um, you know, in our profession, we can also pursue national board certification, which I did. And at the same time that you're reflecting on your practices, you are reflecting on your place within a school community, within a broader community. And by doing that, you recognize the responsibility that we all have as educators to uplift education and the students that we serve. And so there are boundless opportunities within uh, teaching and education for networking, for mutual support, for uh, collective action. Uh, it's not hard to find. The tough part is teachers always feel so strapped for time and so spent in terms of energy. We have burnouts as a common conversation piece and 
you know, work-life balance is always on the tip of everyone's tongues, especially around this time of year and then the mid-year, you know, everyone's trying to figure that out. And so for especially early years educators, it can be hard to, to think I'm going to do all of this work in my classroom plus try to affect change in education, which already feels like that would be more than a full-time job and it is for a lot of people. And so um, that's where we really do need to fall back on people. And that's where you know, Utah Teacher Fellows, all the other pieces I talked about become critical because they not only point you in the right direction as a change maker, but they, they, they will support you and, and hold you up in those times where it feels like you just can't go on. You need your fellow educators to, to wrap their arms around you and say, you got this, you can do this. And that was leading right into that last question that I had was, um, how do you deal with burnout as a change maker? Um, because I agree with you. I think, especially if you're putting yourself out there, if you're trying new things, it's scary and it can be exhausting, but you have to find ways to kind of rejuvenate, right? And you talked about connection being really important. Brooke, what do you think? I'm... I can talk about that, but I also wanted to add mm. on one more thing um, about collaborating and, and starting in that. And if it feels too intimidating to say, okay, I'm going to devote, you know, X amount of time or X amount of hours to join this group. Um, one thing that I think everyone can start with is just take a step sideways. You know, we are so used to getting our information and our connection vertically in education. Like we connect through our, we hear stuff through our administrators who heard it from the district who, you know, it all tr- kind of trickles down vertically take a step to the side, maybe talk to your, attend a board meeting, talk to your, give your board some good news personally. It doesn't have to be part of a larger effort. It doesn't have to be you being part of a group. You can just say, here is a, you know, a two minute description of something that really worked in my classroom and kind of getting your feet wet and getting used to the idea of, you know, my voice can go directly to these people and I can do that as I need to. That could be a great way to, to just kind of like dabble in it. <laughs> If you have the time, if that's what you're ready you, for. Definitely. If you don't mind, I'd love to throw one more point onto that before we move on to burnout, because you're so right, Brooke. And one of the things that people often confuse is change making with, with anger and pessimism and, and just a focus on what's wrong in education, where a lot of the most moving uh, speeches I've heard, the, the, the most compelling arguments I've listened to have been focused on what's going right in a classroom and what works and where children, uh, their voices become centered and they are allowed to inspire us as adults to do better by them because look how great we did. Just imagine how much better we would do if X, Y, and Z, if funding was increased, if, if we were given more opportunities to uh, culturally center our work, you know, whatever it is, change making doesn't have to be a drag. It can be uplifting. It can be positive. It can be the thing that fuels you and, and gives you energy to keep going with that work that may be draining you right now and maybe uh, leading you down that burnout path that we're heading down right now uh, in this conversation. And so you know, if anybody's listening to this and thinking, and how do I add this on top of my load? Maybe thinking of, maybe think of it 
as not an additional piece on top, but as fuel in your system that will make you better equipped to carry that load and give you more purpose in your work and, and better direction where it is that you're going with all of this passion and the causes that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, you've got to you've got to be passionate about the good news. Mm-hmm. You've got to spread Big that good word. Um, going kind of back into that, um, sharing the good news and even maybe sharing bad news, things that need to change. Um, the topic has been using data to instigate change. Um, so my question to you is like, how do you use data? I know that can be kind of a scary word for a lot of teachers um, because like I know I went, I came into teaching to teach students, right? I didn't come into teaching to look at numbers all day. And that, that's not all the data is, but that's what I think of right off the bat, right? So how do you use data and how do you best share that with decision makers? Well, I love that we have two different roles talking about this because I'm not in the classroom anymore. I'm a specialist and I look at data all day and I tell stories with it. And then John, you're looking at faces. You're looking at these lovely faces of your students all day. And that itself, their experiences, their reactions, their learning and their, you know, their lives, that is data as well. And so you've got this wonderful data in front of you that you can draw from. Big time. I, I'm, I'm all about quantitative data. To move students forward, you have to be all about getting into the numbers, identifying strengths, uh, also recognizing areas that need greater support. And that quantitative, quantitative data piece is, is critical, of course. But like Brooke's pointing to, that qualitative piece, those stories, those narratives that kids bring into the classroom, and then we as teachers bring before policymakers, legislators, school board members. Those are the pieces that I have found in, in my work of educational activism and change making. Um, that's where I've seen the most movement in people who seemed like they were stuck within whatever it was that they were walking into the, into the meeting already believing right? They hear a, a true story from the life of a child and, and it can break their heart just enough to get them to reframe their thinking around an issue. Uh, whereas statistics, sometimes they'll just look at it and they'll just glaze over, you know? That's not to say that that piece isn't critical. And I've seen some people whose minds were blown by, by some of the statistics that we as teachers and specialists and just folks in education look at every day and we, we, we hear it all the time. Um, so those, you know, when I look at data within the space of change making, I look at it often as that, that, that crowbar, you know, that, that tool for prying something that was stuck before. You know, you can talk at it all day, but data stories from kids as well as numbers from life that I could just move that piece just enough to start to, to loosen up uh, the conversation and, and move us towards better policy and better laws and better outcomes in our classrooms. Exactly. And a lot of times where I find it's helpful to start, if you don't know where to start, it's helpful to always start by describing what is happening. Can we describe what is happening um, because a lot of people have stories that aren't coming from their direct experience in the classroom. And 
they might have a lot of stories they want to tell about what they suppose is happening in classrooms or what they suppose is happening in your classroom. And so being able to describe what is actually happening is a powerful tool. And we collect so much data in education about our students, about their progress. Um, just being able to give a board member, a legislator, someone who's in a position to make a decision saying, here's what you might think, but here's what's actually happening. And here's what's been happening for five years. What can we do with this? Because we're all bringing goodwill to the table. We all want what's best for students. Here is what our students have been demonstrating to us for you know, X amount of time. Now what's our opportunity? Love that. Um, one thing when thinking about decision makers and, um, I love Brooke that you pointed out that like everyone's coming from a good place. Like you have to believe that right. As a change maker, because otherwise it can be really, uh, disheartening. Um, but there are going to be instances where people think differently from us and, uh, we're going to have to get them to see it from our point of view. So my question is, um, how can a teacher approach working with a decision maker who thinks differently than them? How can they use data or what are some of your recommendations for getting someone on your side? Um, one of my first pieces of advice for that, because this has been kind of my default position, um, not only as an educator in my school, but as just a, a person in my community is I very commonly think differently than the people I'm working with or the people I'm talking to. Um, so that's kind of been my norm. Um, and I know that the first thing I need to do is listen. They don't disagree with me because they don't care or because they don't know anything. So I'm gonna assume that they know what they know. I'm gonna assume that they care about the success of students. And then I'm gonna listen because they probably have valid points with reliable evidence behind it. And then starting from that place of goodwill, I'm going to think of what is the best version of what they're saying and how can I make that better? Um, so if the argument is, let's see, the students shouldn't have access to free and reduced lunch that it should be their parents' responsibility to provide lunch at all times or provide their food at all times. I can say, okay, I can see that you are starting from the place of you don't want to diminish a parent's role in their own family. Okay, let's take that and let's make it the best version of that argument and say, how can we provide parents more tools to support their own parenting and free and reduced lunch in a school is a tool that supports a parent in their ability to make sure that their child is provided for. And, you know, these days, more than any other time in, in my career, I'm, I'm having conversations with parents around issues that, that are politically charged in very, I don't know exactly what the right way of putting it, but we all know what I'm talking about. You know, they're, they're charged in a way that is almost commonplace and just part of the dialogue everywhere, right? And, and things as simple as, you know, the, the kinds of books that we have on our shelves in our classrooms. And, you know, whether or not words like inclusion and diversity and equity are, are beautiful things anymore, or if they are code 
for for nefarious forces in in our education systems things that you would never assume could ever become politically charged but somehow right now right now they are because there's just so much juice running through everything and when i'm having conversations with folks around these issues i again like we were talking about before fall back on stories from my classroom as my touchstone in helping folks make sense of what it is that i believe um, my, my, my goal in the past may have been to convince someone I was right, but these days it feels like my goal is just to inform and, and humanize and create maybe a spark of empathy where before there was none. Uh, it's, it, it feels like a, a less lofty goal. Uh, and I, I don't want it to sound like I've, I've given up on trying to move people to, to my side and convince them to think as I do, but it's, it, it feels like these days it's, it's just these little wins where someone says, I heard that, or I, I get what you're saying. That, that can feel like a, a home run uh, in the bottom of the ninth. Just as an example, I was having a conversation a while back um, about racism. In, in our schools and whether or not that's still a thing. And this was a couple of years, well, the event that I'm gonna describe happened with, you know, in the spring before we shut down our schools. So, you know, we're heading towards the one and a half to year mark on that. And we were having this talk about xenophobia in our schools and whether or not our, our, our kids are, are feeling more or less racist based on the, the things that they're hearing in the news. And at the time, Asian hate was was popping up as a as a common thing that you would see in the news. And and despite that fact, I was having a conversation with a state school board member about whether or not racism was an issue. And I shared this story from the playground where one of my students um, was playing with his best friend, who is Asian. And from across the playground, I saw my 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 student slap his Asian friend across the face. And I ran over there as fast as I could. And I said, what the heck is going on? And they, like the, the kid who had slapped his friend was kind of laughing. And the kid who had been slapped was not. And he said, oh, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Uh, we're just playing a game. And I said, I can see his, his cheek. It has your handprint on it. Like, what game is this that you're playing? And he said, oh, Come on, I'm just, we're just, I'm slapping the corona off of him. And, and this child did not understand that his belief that this Asian student would be the one carrying around coronavirus in our schools was linked to the, the dialogue around race that was on the news and what we were hearing from our president at the time and other things. And by sharing the story, the, the state school board member that I was talking to could could not help but acknowledge the fact that that saying things like like the kung flu on TV was indeed increasing racist incidences in our in our schools in our classrooms and I didn't necessarily convince her that that racism was was running rampant which you know I don't necessarily believe but I believe it is there and it's a thing and she left the conversation also agreeing that maybe in some ways it actually is. And so again, small win, 
but a small win that could inform her decisions and votes on policy and whether or not to adopt the, the state school board's uh, um, resolution denouncing racism and embracing equity in, in Utah schools. I saw, I saw some glimmers from our conversation in the dialogue around that, and it gave me great hope going forward. That's amazing. Thank you for doing that. Those conversations are so important and they're sometimes so hard to have because you want that. And this reference is going to date me. You want a Perry Mason moment. I don't know if you guys know who Perry Mason Everybody is. wants a Perry Mason moment. Perry Mason moment where the person they, breaks they just, down. They just like, had a... You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We Perry Mason that. is back on HBO. That's a hit. Oh, that's right. Paper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they have those same fairy I'm, I'm hip moments. again. That's great. You are hip again. All all things come back around. Your all time right. is now. Your time is now. And um, I also wanted to say that um, just again, the ability to describe what is actually happening is so crucial, especially in this age of misinformation, because someone who believes that racism is not a threat to our students' education, is not a threat to their well-being, is misinformed. They are not looking at what is actually happening in their communities and in their schools. And so one of the great pieces of data that we could use is um, our school climate surveys because they ask students, are people at school happy to see you? Do you hear racist language from staff? Break that down by students' gender, by their race and see, do we have a clear trend of who feels like they're less welcome at school? And that's the students telling us and describing what their school experience is like. And then that gives us the opportunity to do better. On the other side of that story, so you talked about how you shared it and humanized it for this decision maker, for the school board member. Um, how can teachers help students become agents of change for their communities? So we have kind of this outward look as change makers okay like how can I reach out to other people especially decision makers um, but on the flip side how can we bring that momentum into our classrooms and how can we then in turn help our students what are your thoughts I think it's so important to teach students how to access information to describe what is happening give them the, those tools those high quality resources so that they can describe what is happening in their own lives and in their community, have the language to do so and have the tools to do so. Because you know, there's all kinds of information that they could get access to that is unhelpful to them, that's unhelpful to having them be agents of change, but making sure that they know how to access good information, I'd say would be a great start. Yeah, and as educators, anyone who's listening to this, recognize that it is our responsibility to center our instruction around student voices and to be, you know, there's all the taglines, culturally relevant, culturally responsive, so on and so forth. But basically what that comes down to is teach things that are important to kids and also teach kids why current events, social studies, civics, science, why these things are important and what they need to do to not just be consumers, but producers of content. In my classroom, just as an example, it's sixth grade. And I, I did this when I taught fifth grade anyways, but it really lines up nicely with my core content. We watch the news every single morning because in our, in our social safe standards, you know, focus on current events. And then 
we go beyond that to create music videos, letters to legislators, letters to editors, all kinds of work products that students have to produce anyways, but usually they don't see any point in it. Write an essay, write this letter. Why? Well, normally we just say, because you're building skills that you're going to use later. Well, the better answer is because you're going to send this to the editor of the Salt Lake Tribune, or we're going to send this to our representative from Rose Park, and we're going to try to convince them to do what we need them to do to create better conditions for our school and for our community. And, and don't just talk about becoming change makers, make them change makers, you know, and they love it. They go crazy for this. A purpose driven education. Come on now, who doesn't want that? And, and they get the chance to see people respond to their work. Last spring, despite COVID, I had, um, uh, people who are running for city council seats coming into my classroom to talk to my students and, and to be grilled by their questions because my students recognize it's their responsibility to at least put these people to the test. And then their parents or their siblings get to vote on them. And at the same time, they are building the skills that will make them better voters down the road. They love it. They, they feel a sense of responsibility and agency. So don't just talk to kids about becoming change makers. Give them the chance to do the work now so that when they go to high school and university and people are talking about what they're going to do when they grow up or like, ah, now that I'm going to graduate, I'm going to do this kind of work. Our kids can look back on a decade of impact when other people are just looking to get started. You know, there's no, there's no reason to think that kids can't handle critical conversations and, and, to lead out in, in this work. You know, they are, they are the most moving speakers we have and we have them all day long. Why not put them to work creating the change that we want to see instead of killing ourselves as teachers with families and other responsibilities, let's just put our kids in the game and let them take this thing uh, across the finish line for us. It's been, it's been beautiful to watch in my own classroom and I'm excited to see more educators jumping into this work and i've seen a, a big swing in this direction so if you're not already on that train uh now's the perfect time to hop on i love that and i think it circles back to the conversations that we've had about burnout and about connecting to something larger than yourself in education you know that holds true for teachers it holds true for students as well i mean we can't ever tell our students oh when you get to the real world this is their real world they're in it have them step this kind of this whole classroom structure we imagine we have and look outside in their community. Um, I used to invite local judges in to my classroom so students could debate constitutional issues and whether or not I could search their belongings. They were so impassioned about that topic and they never resolved it. We were always 50-50 and those were the best conversations we had because they had to keep working at their logic and their reasoning. I love that. Um, this would probably be our last question to wrap up for today, but talking about our kids and the fact that this is their real life, this is, there is no later or tomorrow for them, right? This is the world they're living in today and that they can have a voice today, right? We have lots of examples of young people being 
change makers in their communities and worldwide even. Um, you think of Greta Thunberg or um, Malala, like change makers happen at every level. Um, so one question I wanted to end with is how do you think technology can be leveraged to create change? How can we, I mean, we live in the 21st century. How can we use these tools to make the world better for people? Well, I think any way in which technology helps you build relationships is probably going to be the way that it helps you make change because, you know, align to your board member when it you're not trying to convince them about their emergency vote the next morning. Um, it's always good to email your board member about, you know, the urgent votes that they have, but it's also good to just email them and introduce yourself and thank them for the work that they're doing. And it's easy to do. It's easier than ever to do. And so using technology in ways that helps you reach out to other people, other teachers, other decision makers, other leaders is a great way to use it to inspire change, to support their work, especially to be supportive and positive. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, technology is critical in so many ways for training our kids to become change makers and to, to actually getting them into the game. It's a place where they can hone their skills. Um, there's, there's all kinds of technological tools out there to make them more effective communicators, to, to make them uh, more engaging content creators. And then it provides them the platforms on which to share their brilliant work. And then the access to policymakers and legislators and other folks who once moved by their work will go out and affect the, the types of changes that they need to see. Everything is there at their fingertips. There's, there's nothing that, that comes later other than access to certain social media sites or whatever that come when you're, when you're a little bit older, but not that much older. And let's be honest, our kids are on there anyways. And so might as well give them the tools that they need to use those social media platforms and other uh, rewards provided by technology in a way that makes life better for other people. Um, it's, it is both the gate through which they need to journey and also the thing that will make them uh, effective once they take a step on through. And I, I count my lucky, stars, my lucky stars all the time for the fact that I am a teacher right now. You know, if I had my same passion and my same goals for my students, but I was teaching in the 90s when I was coming up as a student, I would feel so limited in what I could get my students to do and how I could teach them and, and the, the kind of access that they would have. They'd be handwriting letters and, and ah, licking the envelopes and the whole deal. I'm like, this is not, this is not effective and, and getting them as engaged as I want them to be. Now we have everything we need. And, and I've seen it work in my classrooms. I've seen people email back like Brooke is talking about. I've seen people come to visit based on my students reaching out to them. My students and I, we make music videos, we post them on YouTube and the response that they get is, is typically incredibly positive, but they will also get negative comments on there that, that lead to the best teachable moments as far as how do you engage in online conversations and in healthy and productive ways and what are 
appropriate and inappropriate responses when someone's throwing shade at, at this work that you've spent so much time producing. And all of those pieces constantly remind me that it is a blessing to be in the classroom today. And Brooke, I, I know you're probably crazy jealous that, that, that we are in the classroom, that you, you're not, you can always return, but the work that you're doing is critical. So I'm grateful you're out there doing it. Um, but now is a beautiful time to be a teacher. And it's important to remember that given how hard these days are and, and the fact that we're heading into the dark days of winter uh, in the not too distant future. So please just hang on to that. We are blessed to be teaching today and if you care about creating and affecting change, there's never been a better moment than now. I love it. Love it. Okay. Um, how can people follow you uh, as you continue your change-making journey and anything that you want to plug or share with the peoples? Um, I'll, uh, you can- I'll, oh, I'm sorry, Brooke. Go for it. Okay, so um, you can follow me, John Arthur, and my, my students, our work, um, on most social media platforms at, at Ninth Evermore, the number nine, and TH Evermore. Um, and also, uh, since this is airing in December, I'm going to be appearing on a CBS competition show that by December will have finished uh showing all the episodes and on that my handle is at ja underscore the activist and through that work it's focused on raising awareness and ultimately funding for international education issues um so going beyond just the local to the national and international lens and so if you want to support that work that's a that's a good place to to find out um, where that movement is heading. So awesome. there you go. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's my one feed that I use for education. And my handle is Anderbrook, A-N-D-E-R-B-R-O-O-K-E. Uh, but I have a list of Utah teachers uh, on my Twitter feed. So you can find my list and find Utah educators. And the reason why I do that is to help you, Utah educators, connect to other Utah educators. So please use that and start some great conversations with your fellow educators. Awesome. I love it. Using technology to uh, make connections and create change. It's a beautiful yep. thing. Thank you. Okay. I think that's it for our discussion today. Thank you guys again so much for this fabulous conversation. I learned so much. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. Wow. Wasn't that amazing? Thanks for joining us to discuss how teachers can influence change for their profession, their students, and their communities. I loved sitting in on that discussion with John and Brooke. You can't help but feel inspired after hearing their stories. What is something that you care about? How can you make a change for good? I look forward to hearing your responses. Tweet me at kbettis or at uset on Twitter to extend the conversation. As you know, at the end of each episode this year, we spotlight something in Utah that connects to the topic at hand. For this month, we would like to highlight some ways that teachers can get involved in making meaningful change. 
Start off small by making a connection with the decision maker. Email a board member, an admin, or representative and introduce yourself and what you care about. Remember, making a difference is all about the people. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Kira Bettis, and I will see you next time.